0: This is the Two Spies Podcast, a part of the Life family. Get ready to dig deeper in the Bible, have your worldviews challenged, and gain some different perspectives. Now, the conversation begins with your two spies, David and Mark.
1: Okay, so we're so talking about
2: Ecclesiastes.
1: Yeah. I brought the wrong notes then.
2: <laughs> We're just gonna go up top of You our talk head.
1: about Ecclesiastes, I'm talking about Joseph.
2: Okay, we'll do it see what happens. I'm sure they'll intertwine somehow. Yeah.
1: Psalm. Silver chord. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> Silver chord. There's a time for everything. You know, it works.
1: <laughs> so when you say Ecclesiastes, I immediately start singing in my head. Dude, everything, turn, turn, turn. <laughs> I remember when I first read Ecclesiastes. I'm like,
2: "Oh my goodness!" It's the lyrics to the song. They Almost. stole
1: this from the from the from, who was that? Uh, the Beatles. Peter Paul and Mary. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. I the
1: Beatles. No, they're all the they, same. It don't matter. All... <laughs> Somebody right now is mad. Well, thanks for tuning in. We hope to hear
2: you next week. <laughs> no. All right, so we're back in Genesis with the life of Joseph after our several-week break with the resurrection, the the death, the resurrection, and the church. So kind of yep. back into...
1: So I was going to go back and get us back in the timeline that we were kind of following as we went along from page one. Okay. Adam, Noah, so on. And we end up at Abraham's, where I was going to just start to recap. Abraham was born in 2009. This is F.A. Uh, from Adam F. or Adam oh, yeah. forward, A.F. He had Isaac at 100. So 2009 plus 100, Isaac was born in 2109. He had Jacob at 60, which means uh, Jacob was born in 2169. Jacob had Joseph at age 91. <clears throat> and doesn't tell you that, but you can kind of do some math when, let's see, uh, Joseph was 30 when he ascended to the throne of Egypt. There were seven years of plenty, two years of famine, Joseph is thirty nine when he comes to uh, when he reveals himself to his brothers, and calls his father down. Or calls his father down. Jacob meets hundred. Uh, I cannot read. Jacob meets a hundred at Pharaoh in thirty years.
2: <laughs> Y'all be praying for David. He can't read.
1: <laughs> Jacob meets Pharaoh at one hundred and thirty years old. So Joseph is thirty nine. Then that makes him ninety one when he has Joseph. So. Just just to put us back in, we're at 2260 from the first page of the Bible. Just following the ages of people through the first page of the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to jump back to Genesis 30. Okay. the I mean, where else would you jump back to, right? <laughs> of
2: course, Genesis 30. <laughs>
1: Whenever one of us fills, go to Genesis 30. I mean, that's a <laughs> phrase we always use. <laughs> I need to remember that for my future. Like, I'm not really sure what I should do today. I think I'll just read Genesis 30. (laughs) Uh, When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, well, that's that's really uplifting. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what I was going to jump to was uh, Genesis 30 and 22. Let's see, 22 through 24. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb she conceived and bore a son and said god has taken away my reproach and she called his name joseph saying may the lord add to me another son so some of the rabbinic notes uh, they play off of the word remembered being there and i spent a little bit of time myself looking at the word or the concept of reproach and just following that through the scripture uh also if you know if everything else fails you turn to genesis 30 right so if you're wondering what uh all the sons of israel's names mean you should just turn to genesis 30 there you go. <laughs> and joseph and and also it ends the last bit of 29 genesis 29 but joseph basically means yahweh has added comes from a verb yasaf to do again to add to increase uh Let's see. So going on those rabbinic notes from the Jewish study Bible on the basis of the word remembering, which is kind of funny to me because it's just the word zakar, which it's all over the Bible. It's not a specifically like limited use word like you're going to say, oh, it's only used eight times. You can look at every single bit of it. It's used like we use the word car constantly. But anyway, they kind of go to uh, the, the rabbis of old would go to Leviticus twenty three twenty four. There it's, it's translated as commemorated. But uh, let's see. We'll just flip there right quick and look at it. Leviticus 23, 24. And all else fails, you just turn to Leviticus 23. <laughs> <laughs> 24 is, uh, well, starting at 23, 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying... In the month, or in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial, proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. 25, you shall not do any ordinary work. You shall present a food offering to the Lord. So here the same words. The is is translated as a memorial, and it's talking about uh, the Feast of Trumpets. So... Piece of trumpets are blown, or the trumpets are blown for uh, Rosh Hashanah. This is one thing I thought was odd. I, I misread it at first because it says uh, the Talmud dates Rachel's conceiving to Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, Rosh is head or beginning. Ha, the and sha, or shana is year. So the head of the year is New Year's. Huh. So uh, let's see. The Talmud dates Rachel's conceiving as well as Sarah's and Hannah's to Rosh Hashanah. The matriarchs does play a prominent role in the traditional Rosh Hashanah liturgy. I went through it right quick just to look, write it all down, and see uh, Rosh Hashanah liturgy. The, there's a first and second day. So first day they read Genesis 21, 1-34, which is the birth of Isaac. Numbers 29, 1-6, through 6, which is the Feast of Trumpet offerings. <coughs> First Samuel 1, let's see, 1, 1 through 2nd chapter, 10th verse, the birth and offering of Samuel. On the second day, they read Genesis 22, 1 through 24, which is offering of Isaac. 20, uh, let's see, Numbers 29, 1 through 6 again, which is the Feast of Trumpets, offerings. And then they conclude it with Jeremiah 31, 2 through 20, which is the Lord's promise of renewal. So the, the concept there through two days is Isaac's birth, Feast of Trumpet offerings, birth and offering of Samuel, Isaac offering, Feast of Trumpet offerings, the Lord's promise to renewal.
0: Huh.
1: Is, honestly, there's uh, Isaac, so there's Sarah, and then there's Samuel, so there's Hannah, but I don't really see a Joseph here, so I don't know where they decided to attach the idea i wanted to mention it because it's kind of a neat concept but as i got looking at it more and more it's like you see the i don't see joseph there at all
2: hmm.
1: but the funny thing is i guess if you consider what it's all about uh it it goes over joseph's life it's a renewal a renewal oh. comes through him that's cool. for sure but i also misread it thinking they they were all born on rosh hashanah like uh that would be Isaac, Joseph, and Samuel all had same birthday. <laughs> but no, they were conceived, supposedly, by Talmud tradition. Huh. They were conceived on Rosh Hashanah. Interesting. Mm, let's see. First mention of uh, – case okay, Zikar is the the verb they're basing that on. Zakar is the same uh, – just means to remember, but it's the same verb that's in uh, Zechariah's name. Its first mention is in Genesis 8 1. God remembered Noah and the animals. Then he remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of Sodom in Genesis 19. Now he remembers Rachel and later he remembers Israel in Egypt. Uh, He did bring them out and set a New Year's Day for them, Exodus 12. Yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, the, the word remembered <laughs> tells you a whole lot of times that God remembered something or somebody, but let's see. Uh, I was just going to basically go through a little bit right here just to set up J- Joseph's uh, kind of birth story or his birth situation. That's why I went back to Genesis 30. So God's salvation for Noah and the animals through the flood, God's salvation for Lot from death, God's salvation for Rachel from her humiliation, his salvation for is- for Israel from slavery. This is the kind of scenario that Joseph is born of and for. That, mm-hmm. and that's how they attach it, and that's I do see that in his life. I don't see it really in the text, but <clears throat> but uh, the the other word I followed out of this was reproach, which is harpa. Uh, <clears throat> The word reproach, let's see, it mentions here, uh, it mentions, that makes no sense. I'm sorry I do that, but <laughs> you type it on an iPad sometimes. you'll, If you type two letters really fast, you don't know it, but you highlighted the past four words or something, <laughs> and then when you hit the next thing you hit, it yeah. starts typing that, and those, those words are deleted. So if you don't catch it, uh, first mentions are here, Genesis 34, Kerpa, which is, we're looking at basically the word for reproach, but it comes in the story of an exchange for Dina and circumcision. uh, They tell the sons of Shechem or the people of Shechem that if you want to marry, uh, if your son Shechem, and tells us to hamor the king, if your son Shechem wants to marry Dina, you have to to get circumcised, yeah, because it would be a reproach to us. So reproach is attached to circumcision. Immediately and in exchange for a wife. Joshua five nine, Joshua circumcised all of Israel at Gilgal to renew covenant. So just keep in mind this is also about circumcision again. Covenant. Exchange for a wife Exchanging a wife is making her a woman of a covenant.
2: All right. Huh. Uh
1: first Samuel eleven two Nachash the Ammonite offers a covenant slash treaty with the men of Yabish Gilead, and it involved gouging out their eyes, or gouging out their right eyes, (laughs) which is not exactly circumcision, but it is cutting some flesh off. Some
2: flesh, yeah, to mark a sign.
1: To mark a sign for a treaty. 1 Samuel 17, uh, taking away the reproach of Goliath, taunting, offering riches. And Saul's daughter in marriage. It's used there to take away the reproach of Israel. And if you do this, whoever does this, you'll get to marry my daughter. So it's, again, taking away reproach. It's huh. cutting off Elias' head is kind of removing some flesh, too. That's all in there with circumcision. First <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Samuel 25, Nabal dies, or Nabal dies. David's insult is removed in this, and Abigail becomes his wife. So same thing again. Just kind of see this this same concept going through four times in Nehemiah uh, Nehemiah. <laughs> Nehemiah <laughs> it's about re, uh, removing the reproach of Israel and rebuilding the walls. Many times, and I started kind of summing up here. Many times in the Psalms and, and Isaiah, it's in messianic passages talking about enduring reproach and insult in place or, the, or in the place of someone else. Uh, so when Messiah does this, because they're messianic passages, they have those Psalms and Isaiah parts. They're talking about Messiah coming to take the reproach of someone. Who is that? That's us. Through all that, the church is established. Huh. So it's a covenant for a wife huh. that's made in His flesh. Just all together. So we go back and kind of take those those concepts and look at. Uh, there's Rachel she conceived and bore a son and said, God's taken away my approach. You just kind of see that all that lot there layered onto it. So Rachel, the wife that Jacob really loved and Mm -hmm. they already had the covenant of marriage, but this is kind of solidifying it, taking away her approach. Mm -hmm. It's kind of attached to making a covenant. Let's see. Yeah. It's kind of a, a closing paragraph about that concept. This word is weaved in and around the ideas of establishing and reestablishing a wife, which is a woman of covenant, raising her up and saving her from insult. is involved with circumcision repeatedly, which is all about God's covenant with Abraham. Israel was his heir and became God's covenant, or, and it became God's covenant with them. So God's covenant with Abraham became Israel's covenant. Huh. Right. right. You, I mean, I'm not telling tell you anything you don't know, but <laughs> uh, they were considered in the Old Testament to be God's wife. Israel was God is always rebuilding and reestablishing what was torn down and lost. He takes insult on himself for the honor of his wife as Messiah does for his bride. He is a husbandman, which is a caregiver. So keeping all this in mind, as we study Joseph's life's events and purposes. And I don't know that I honestly, as I kept studying and reading, I kept reflecting back to this or not, but Joseph is such a picture of Jesus to me anyway. Yeah. I saw more things this time than I've seen in the past, also. Yeah. So you can make endless lists of that, how it links over to Jesus. But this time I kept thinking, oh, there's another one. There's (laughs) there's another way it matches.
2: Yeah. (coughs) One thing I kind of put for his birth is that Israel, Jacob, but Israel gave birth to Joseph, and Joseph ended up saving Israel um, and Mm -hmm. the people of Israel. And you go in the New Testament, Joseph gave birth in a sense. To Jesus, who then again saved Israel and the Gentiles, so it was like a bigger Joseph. But they both came from, uh, or so, Joseph came from Israel, and then Jesus came from Joseph. As far as Joseph, <laughs> the name, his father, stepfather. Oh, oh, oh! oh I was oh. just t- sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm thinking tribal wise. Oh, 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 I get what sorry, you're saying. Sorry. Yeah. 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 So it was just a little small thing I thought of, but you know. Jo- you know Joseph came from Israel, and Jesus came from a Joseph, yeah, so yeah. um but so Joseph could save the physical people, but the but it was that the one after Joseph that would come do the yeah. supreme saving, yeah, not a big deal, <laughs> <laughs>
1: so back to uh, thirty seven or are you <laughs> anything else on no, his that's birth? Good. Uh, I just mm-hmm. entitled this section Joseph's Station in Life, so how he was kind of, what he was born into and what he kind of had to put up with in a way. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Thirty-seven two. Sure. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy of the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. So this is something I'd, I've never caught before, but... Uh, always, it tells you things in the Bible. It's like, oh, I just said that, and you keep on reading. <laughs> but the uh, the JSB study notes uh, it suggests the old the father's oldest sons, that being the sons of Leah, placed him with the sons of the two slave women. Hmm. Like it was there, maybe it was. I mean, if they're all out watching the, the flocks together, yeah, then maybe they just they make decisions out there and do what they want to. But uh if they were trying to they were trying to place him with slaves since the beginning of his life and ultimately in the end tried to sell him as a slave to really seal the deal get rid of him. Altogether his brothers tried to degrade him lower because his father tried to elevate him higher.
2: Which is weird because the first son is supposed to get the blessing. I mean that's the main focus of a family, you know, the first son gets the blessing, yeah. the inheritance, etc. And yet Joseph loves the eleventh.
1: Jacob loves the 11th. Yeah, sorry. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Jacob loves the 11th son more than, you know, it's just kind of a weird uh, switch or change already from the usual lineage of what's going on.
1: Well, yeah. Well, he is the firstborn of the woman he loved. That's true. You tie it through through that. It comes down to a woman again. (laughs) Women. (laughs) But this last sentence I'm writing down here, I wrote down after finding other things because of jesus so i mean i'll keep referring back to this all the time but <clears throat> just to say it again his brothers tried to degrade him lower because his father tried to elevate him higher mm-hmm. i got that from looking th- through john john one and john five and john seven uh john one 11, he came to his own this is of course speaking about jesus he came to his own his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god so to kind of let you know, he came to his own and who were his own. They're really his brothers. I kept seeing that throughout this, too, that I haven't seen this blatant before. But the brothers of Joseph are literally going to be Israel, the nation, but they are representative symbolically <laughs> okay. through all these stories as Israel. <laughs> okay. And you got Joseph representing Jesus, but you got these that were always against him. Well, that's scribes, Pharisees, what well, the New Testament calls Jews. Yeah, that's them, they're representing the Jews more specifically, but the nation of Israel basically.
2: That's a good point.
1: Uh, so yeah. I just see there in, in John 1 though, <laughs> that he came to his own people, and then it doesn't say basically he didn't come to his brothers, but it turns right around and says everybody who accepts him has the right to become children of God. So it lets you know in a sense there's a family tie concept there.
2: Hmm. Interesting.
1: But just playing on that same thing. His brothers tried to degrade him lower. His father tried to elevate him higher. Uh, John five twenty seven, and he, the father, has given him the son authority to execute judgment. John seven three, so his brothers said to him, "Leave here and go to Judea that your your disciples may see your works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world." Seven five, for not even his own brothers believed in him. Just just laying it out through John there. The, what I just now found in Joseph, his brothers tried to degrade him lower. His father tried to elevate him higher.
2: <laughs> just, that's cool.
1: <coughs> what you got next?
2: Uh, we can keep reading. We can keep going.
1: Okay, let's tear this robe apart.
2: Uh-oh. <laughs> Get to the robe.
1: I guess I shouldn't say that because the robe was not torn apart. <laughs> <laughs> Which is another picture <coughs> Of Jesus, his robe that was taken from him at the cross was not torn apart.
2: You know, we, we had a, a very brief conversation a few days ago about this because David had some things, and I just asked him point blank about the robe. And after we talked about it, I started thinking, you know, most of – a lot of people remember the, the story of Joseph through the robe of many colors or the coat yeah. of many colors. Yeah, I mean, there's what, the player movie i know it's a play technical or dream coat yeah so there's a lot of it's a big part of the story of joseph that people remember yeah so when you when you were talking about that it started making <laughs> me think how we emphasize things that aren't there yeah somewhat but, but go ahead i'll let you kind of so
1: the robe had a whole lot of colors and uh let's go on
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right there you go the end
1: so, so go back and grabbing out of getting beginning of uh, Genesis 37. 37.2, Joseph, being 17 years old, was po- uh, was posturing. No, it's a typo. He Pasture. was pasturing the yes. flock with his brothers. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, this is not typos in my Bible for you listeners. just typos <laughs> on my, my iPad. Yeah. <clears throat> so verse 3. No, uh, let me just read out of my Bible because that's got to be wrong again, too. <laughs> Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was a son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. <clears throat> so of course, like you know, we're going at. I was just thinking, I wonder what the, this robes thing is. And as I started looking into it more and more. The robe is ketonet, which I'm not sure, but I think maybe linked to the Greek word keton. And you'll see keton in some of your, like, ball-in-the-page notes in the New Testament.
0: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> but a keton is basically uh, the inner garment worn next to the skin. So a ketonet is kind of easy to remember. Uh, the guards took Jesus' garments and his keton in John 19. It was a one-piece garment that they didn't tear but cast lots for. So that's yeah. links kind of straight across right there. They didn't tear Joseph's. <clears throat> it doesn't say they didn't tear it. Like it makes a point out of Jesus's garment, but let's see thirty-seven twenty-three. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of the robe and the, the robe of many colors that he wore. And then it goes on to tell you about it. What the, the events of the, is- the issue of the pit, but it doesn't say anything about tearing the robe. I just thought it's interesting that they cover the robe in blood and take it to Jacob, and he's, uh, I don't know if it was him or one of the sons, but he basically says uh, he is surely torn to pieces. Yeah.
2: It was Jacob, Israel.
1: Yeah. He says he was torn to pieces. Well, no, look at the robe. It's not torn. It's just covered in blood. Hmm. Something's going on here.
2: Yeah. It's It's funny. That Jacob deceived his father through the garment, the clothes, yeah. the robe of Esau, and now he's being deceived by his sons the uh-huh. same way What the yeah. robe. So, what
1: was killed to deceive him? <clears throat> what what kind of fur was put on him? Was it goat? I think so. I didn't think about this point. That's a great point. I'm gonna look back and see what Rebecca used. About verse 18 is
2: That's
1: what I was looking at. Yeah, uh, verse 16, the skins of young goats she put on his hands huh. and on the smooth part of his neck. Huh. <clears throat> There's something to find there. We had more time to think about it. I mean, he was deceived with a goat's skin, and now he's being, he deceived with the goat's skin, now he is being deceived, deceived with goat's Christian. blood. Neat. But, so, my whole issue with the whole thing was <coughs> finding a concept of color even being there, and there is no concept of color in the verse.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, what? So, how is it read in Hebrew? Just kind of like a coat of many, um, like rippings. I mean, is that how? What is implied? I guess. Let me
1: get it open right here. Okay. Let's see, but where are we at? That's verse uh, 3? Yeah. Get my iPad to work. <laughs> this app's always questionable. <clears throat> Let's see. He made, listen the last sentence there, and he made him a robe of many colors. Uh, reads like, they are and he made lo for him or to him, ketunet pasim. Ketunet is the kiton or the robe. robe. Pasim is now the the adjective that stuck with it. So that's where you we're, we're going to trace and say pasim must mean oh, colors. Okay. I got you. Uh, I can't tell you definitively that every single time in Hebrew it's noun adjective. <coughs> I think that's basically kind of like what you would do in Spanish, noun adjective. It's a, is a car, red, not a red car. Gotcha. <clears throat> but uh, pasim is plural for pas. It literally means, according to Strong's Concordance, the flat palm or the sole of the foot. So in modern Hebrew dictionary, pas means stripe or streak or rail. Like a fence railing would also be a pas. Hmm. Uh, stripe of clothing, like... Im is plural, of course, so it's a masculine noun, so Pisim. It's a robe with streaks or a robe with stripes or strips. So I'm picturing it with long vertical lines. I don't know why they have to be vertical, but I'm imagining they're vertical lines. Either way, there's also suggestions that this comes down, just looking tracing this word to other places, there's suggestions that it comes down to the palms and the mm-hmm. soles of the feet. That being that pas means uh, palm and sole of the feet. So the robe with, or a robe, pasim, possibly is a long-sleeved robe. And you'll see that in some translations. There's a long-sleeved robe. And I think the concept I was telling you the other night is you see in other places in the Bible, like even when Paul is describing the armor of God, you gird up your loins. You're getting ready to do the work of God. So, when you gird up your loins, you take your uh, you reach through your legs and you grab the back side of your robe if you're getting ready for battle or to run or something and you bring it up through your your legs and you tuck it in the front side of your belt so you're now girded up like you're wearing shorts and you're ready to run or, or do battle or whatever if you're not girded up you're not ready to do that mm. so it's kind of a suggestion here that this is not a working robe or a a servant's robe. This is a favored prince type son who's not getting his fingernails dirty kind of robe. <laughs> in in a way, he's he's maybe like Jacob was. You know, Jacob was a, a <coughs> yeah. mama's boy in the tent.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, Jacob ends up telling him, "Hey, go check on your brothers, make sure they're doing their job." And he's there by his father's side. He's not actually he's not either out there doing anything. Doing yeah, it, right?
1: yeah. <clears throat> so this is, I guess. To destroy it also, <laughs> because what we just now said a second ago is we believe a lot of things that for a long time that never were there. <coughs> Maybe it was suggested that to someone who was translating this in the 1600s that possibly, if it had a bunch of different types of materials, then they could be different colors. Right. So there you go. But that's it's possible. I don't see it like a, it's not some rainbow colored thing that's. bright red streaks and yellow and orange and this kind of stuff
2: i don't even think the colors should be the focus of the narrative in that area yeah i mean it's not about the colorful robe it's about him singling out joseph and putting a robe on him and yeah um, i just put you know quick, quick verses about the robe um exodus 28 39 through 40 the word coat is the same um Leviticus eight seven second Samuel thirteen, um, eighteen through nineteen robe, um, Nehemiah seven seventy two garments, Job thirty eighteen tunic. Um, anyway, but there's so there's different words about robes, so it's signifying some kind of covenant or some kind of selection, like you just talked about how he's yeah you know singling out Joseph as prince or his special prized possession or yeah. whatever the word is, but
1: yeah. So I had mentioned to you there was nine English versions that do this. Right. So there's the ESV, the DBY, which is the the Darby. The CSB is the Coleman. Uh, KJV, NKJV, ASV, NASV, uh, NASB, the HNV, and the WEB. Uh, HNV is the Hebrew names version. and WEB is – I forget what that stands for. It's basically a – uh, another version of the Hebrew Names Bible, hmm. or Hebrew Names Version, <clears throat> which is an English translation that basically tries its best to go back and transliterate the the Hebrew names hmm. better hmm. than what we usually do with English. Hmm. So when we see, I don't know how they would spell Joseph, but there's no J J in Hebrew yeah, or like Greek. Joseph, right? right, it's Yosef. So Yosef comes from Yassaf. So that little letter there, though, and we've, I think we mentioned this before, but that's how we get this J for Jesus when no other culture really calls him Jesus. But the German that Martin Luther translated, J is used for the Y sound. He was properly translating Yeshua uh, or Jesus from the Old and New Testament. He was properly translating that with a J in German.
2: Was his name, like, technically more closer to Joshua?
1: Oh, without a J sound. Right, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yoshua, yeah. uh, Yahshua, yeah. Yehoshua, all those. When you see it in a bunch of the king names, there's a bunch of them that are very, very close also. Yeah, yeah. But. Uh, tubal, Tubal Cane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really close. <laughs> but. uh Anyway, so getting getting back down to it, though, the NKJV, the new King James, comes from the King James, of course. The ASV came from the King James also. The NASB and the HNV and the WEB all come from the ASV, too. So they're kind of like a second generation away from the King James. They're, there's a whole lot of argument about... Uh, these new translations that aren't blah, 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 aren't even close, they're actually better, closer attempts to go back to original language and translate it into modern language versus taking an older English version.
2: Just upping up the language. Just
1: upping up the language of that English version. All you're doing is translating an English version, you're not translating the scripture. Right. The original scripture. But that said, let's see. NASB, HNV, WEB, and ASV. And in KJV, that's five that come from the KJV, which makes six out of this list of nine. Mm-hmm. So they came specifically from it. They're all attempts to make the new or the old King James English into newer English, but you still have you still don't have nine facts of, or witnesses to gotcha. say something. You have the King James and all of its babies, yeah, right. So. And I did see also that the Spanish has three Korean, one version. I do have another version right here in my, my bag I hadn't checked yet. There's two Korean versions I have to look at. But uh, Greek one version, German one, and French one, they all use this concept of colored. Hmm. So I'm not sure where all of them got it from. The only one that makes me wonder really is the Greek, right. how they get the concept of color in in their their version of it. But that's of course the uh, the LXX
2: septuagint.
1: Yep, is it septuagint or septuagint?
2: I call it septuagint. So <laughs> that's my that's my that's my uh, interpretation of the reading of the word.
1: So I did. Uh, this is probably a waste <laughs> of time, but I did go for colors just to see where colors is and and what it's like in the Bible. I don't remember what color singular really did let me see that right quick color singular uh comes five times daniel five daniel seven revelation nine so you got four in the old testament and they're all about the king's color changed his color changed your color changed, my color changed so they're all kind of about getting sickly looking or turning pale and there's not really a word there for color it's they're translating a the concept of the idiom is yeah. being spoken. Right. The other one being uh, Revelation 9, of course, is New Testament Greek. So we don't have an example there. To look at Yeah, of color. If we add an S, we get uh, four times. Genesis 37 has three of them. So they're all about this coat. The only other one we can look at is Ezekiel 17 3. And this is a. Uh, Kind of a long parable. I'll just grab this particular verse. Let's see. The Lord came. The Lord, the Lord came to me, the Son of Man, propound a riddle, and speak a parable to the house of Israel. Verse three. Say, thus says the Lord God: A great eagle with great wings and long pinions, rich in plumage of many colors, came to Lebanon and took the top of the cedar. So right here, I did follow it to see kind of what this word is. Mm-hmm. What is it? Uh, Rikmah. So the word Rikmah and its, and its relations in other verses suggest it's tied to the idea of embroidery. You, so you can't, in English, you can't look around and find very many places with colors. But once you go to this one verse, uh, Ezekiel 17, 3, that has colors in it, Rikmah, you can trace that and follow that mm. and find that most of the time it is uh, tied to embroidery. If you follow that, you basically get a bunch of robes and very high-dollar stuff. It's rich. Hmm. It's not. It's, uh, it's the same concept we're already looking at here, but yeah. uh, its root is rakam. Now, this is maybe where it's – of course, it's still not related technically to Joseph in any way. We're taking a word from Ezekiel 17 right. and taking its root. So, uh, rikma, root, rakam. Means variegated or to mix colors. So,
2: eh. well, you know, I'm thinking, you know, if you go outside, and um, I'm not saying Moses wasn't an intelligent guy, but you go outside, and um, you know, my daughter might say, "Man, it's really colorful out here," or the sky is really colorful. Well, it's either blue. <laughs> I mean, blue when there's clouds are white. There's they're not. It's not very colorful, but it's vibrant. It's um it's like a megaphone. It's it's like more colorful, more vibrant, more shock and awe, more yeah, uh whatever. Um, so I mean it could also be, you know, the person couldn't there's no word for it, there's no expression for it. Um it's it's just a coat of extravagance of yeah. you know, and <coughs> the translator may, you know, King James may have been I don't know much about the history of the person King James. Um, well, but again, he didn't translate it himself, so. Well, I know. <laughs> but, you know, the people or whomever may be um, a fan of plays back then. Yeah. And they could have just, you know, took a word and felt like maybe that would show this elevation of the you know, I mean, Yeah, that's so, very likely. But.
1: I thought not about that, that direction of it, but.
2: But, you know, go ahead. <clears throat> No, go ahead. I uh, was just going to say, uh, well, I was going to kind of deal with just really the robe part of it. Because I was thinking the first time we really read anything about a robe or garment or tunic or clothing is when God came and yeah. and, and sewed fig leaves and, and covered Adam. So it was a sign of God restoring the relationship and God... Elevating Adam and Eve back to himself, and then you follow along the garments, the robes, you know, um, Aaron and his sons, specialized robes for the priests, you know, yeah. y- you wear this only here, and when you come out of the Holy of Holies, you take it off. It's not, you know, to be messed with. Everybody out, you know. stuff. So garments, robes, all that really signify um, some kind of specialization or some kind of dedication, um, especially in with the Israelites or the Jews or that people— um you know something special was going on with god between god and that person you know it wasn't just normal clothing normal yeah. shirt and shoes so yeah. um again i think it's this i don't think the colors part is the emphasis of that verse i think it really like you just you know like, like you talked about not beating a dead horse but you know he's elevating his <laughs> son <laughs> there
1: you go <laughs> well speaking of the of the the temple and all the curtains, et cetera, that were made for it, and the robes. Uh, this word, rakam, is used in Exodus 26 for the veil of the holy of the holies. I thought it interesting. I used to think that it was—it's and just it's just a matter of reading it when you're younger and then reading it again later, and you start building something, and you don't you're not paying attention to the details, but this word is attached to—which is kind of more like embroidery or fine linen— mm-hmm. It's attached to the veil in front of the Holy of Holies, the gate curtain in front of the courtyard, the sash around the high priest. It's not the entire uh, Holy of Holies or the entire tent of meeting. It's the basically the gate curtain. It's not the entire perimeter of the whole tent of meeting grounds. It's the gate curtain, the highest, the highest most qu- high-quality stuff there. Right is what's the barrier in front of the way in. Huh. And the sash is uh, around the high priest. Because I was thinking, yes, it is nice linen and a nice robe, et cetera, but this word's actually put on the sash of the high priest around his chest. Mm. <clears throat> Let's see. And what I thought was probably the neatest kind of conclusion of uh, Rikmah or Rakim. David writes in Psalm 139, 15, my frame was not hidden from you. And this is where he's basically saying, You knew me before I was born, Lord. You know how I'm put together. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret in the depths of the earth. Intricately woven there is, is the concept, but when I was being made, that is, uh, where is it? Rakamti. It's another, it's basically a turn. These grammar terminologies, I forget them. <laughs> <laughs> what is it when you're receiving? The, it's a passive passive yeah. form of the verb. Okay, yeah. So the way it's made there, he's describing himself as being, <clears throat> it was done to him. He was intricately put together. He was in, embroidered in a way hmm. in the womb. Hmm. Just God's pretty neat on the way he writes stuff. <laughs> Let's see. I have one more little section on Jacob. You may have something, or excuse me, Joseph, and these clothes. Did you find anything about the pattern throughout <clears throat> the scripture of his clothing and unclothing constantly? Mm-mm. I wouldn't notice this, but when I tell you these things, you'll notice it. Like, huh? It is pretty well laid out. <laughs> but I got this, of course, from the uh, the Jewish Study Bible notes here that his position and uh, elevation and title, etc., changed constantly with his clothing and unclothing throughout the scripture.
0: Hmm.
1: So uh, Genesis 37, three, and I also found that it was diff- three different words throughout, or there's four altogether involved in this, through his first elevation, his taking down, and his re-elevation again. So his in uh, the first one we looked at was ketonet. So in Genesis 37, three, his father gave him a ketonet, Genesis 37, 23, his brothers take his ketonet. They sell him into slavery. He goes down to Egypt. He gets bought by Potiphar. Genesis 39, 15 through 18, Potiphar's wife takes his beged from him. Beged is another common word for uh, clothing. Genesis 4, 41, 14, he is taken from the pit slash dungeon, and a simla is given him. Genesis 41:42. Pharaoh dresses him in beged shesh, which is very different from just plain beged. Huh. Breaking some of these down, a ketonet is a tunic or undergarment. And looking at it through the scripture, right quick, Yahweh God dressed Adam and Eve in ketonet. Jacob dressed Joseph in a ketonet in fatherly love. His brothers stripped him of his ketonet. They did not tear it; they took it. But just looking, it kind of attached. Jacob's dressing of Joseph in a ketonet, specifically to God dressing Adam and Eve. It's a fatherly love type thing. Hmm. Maybe one is defining the other and in, in vice versa to me. But uh, begged was the second word that's attached to him, and Potiphar's wife takes his begged from him. I think that word is mentioned six times in five verses right there with her. Huh. Begged is a garment. It's also a noun for treachery or deceit. (laughs) Put that concept together in your mind. (laughs) Uh, Adam's servant gave Rebecca begged. Excuse me, Adam. Abraham's servant gave Rebecca begged. That one's real nice and everything. And it's like, how did this word get thrown in there once you start seeing its other placements? So Rebecca gets the begged as a gift from whoever Abraham's servant was, Eliezer. We think yeah. Rebecca later took Esau's best begged and put them on Jacob for the purpose of deceit. Remember, it's a noun for treachery or deceit. So she tries to trip Jacob with Begid. When Reuben saw Joseph was gone, he tore his Begid. Joseph, uh, let's see, Potiphar's wife takes his begged from Joseph and tries to deceive her husband. Hmm. When Tamar sought to deceive Judah, she took off her widow's begged. kind of just odd the last one was uh, a simla when he is when they come to him and they basically shave him clean him up give him a bath and put new clothes on him and take him to the the pharaoh to see about his dreams they put simla on him so a simla is a wrapper or a mantle or a covering garment which kind of has this ring of when i hear mantle i think of Eliyah and elisha immediately so it kind of has a ring of uh You're about to get elevated, or you're going to be taken care of. You're in the line of something that is that's good (laughs) to me. But uh, Shem and Yapheth covered Noah with a simla. Jacob tore his simla when he heard Joseph died. Joseph was dressed in a simla when he was taken out of the pit. Let's see. Next part was Shesh. I don't know what. What do you want to put together with that? Is I mean, kind of your idea.
2: Do what? Sorry.
1: Simon Japheth covering Noah with a simla. <clears throat> what concept do you see there? I mean, it's a covering garment.
2: Forgiveness, you mean?
1: Yeah, maybe they're they're covering up something that they're, they're covering up his shame. Yeah. Jacob tore his simla when he heard Joseph died. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe he exposed himself in a shame in a way. When, the, when he heard that news, Joseph was dressed in a seam line when he was taken out of the pit. This is what they would have, Pharaoh would have said, "Go get him," and the servants are like, "We we better cover up how bad he looks before taking before the Pharaoh." Yeah, because yeah, like,
2: he's coming in the king's presence, and right. you better look your part.
1: And then uh, 40, uh, Genesis forty one forty two, Pharaoh dresses him in Beged Shesh. Beged was kind of uh, kind of a bad thing, you know, but. With Shesh, it means white bleached linen. It's tied to alabaster and marble. It's related to the name Susa in Persia, and Susan or Susanna, the name, comes from Shesh. So, again, white bleached clean linen. The word shows it repeatedly in the making of the tent of meeting of Moses and the high priest's garments. Uh,. I thought I had one or five words. It's Here's another one right here I kind of <laughs> looked at. A boar. Just a quick note on this. Uh, a boar is a pit. His garment was taken in Genesis 37, and he was thrown into the boar. Here, Pharaoh takes him out of the boar and dresses him back up. But all of this right here kind of follows his dressing and undressing. His father gives him one. His brothers take it from him. <clears throat> his father elevates him. His brothers throw him in a pit sell him for a slave. When Potiphar's wife takes his clothes from him again, he's thrown basically into jail, even lower than a slave again. And then when he's going to be taken out of it, he's elevated by being dressed again. And then Pharaoh takes it when he really gives him the title of second command and dress him again above that. Hmm. But I had not seen this dressing and undressing tied with his (coughs) his title and and position again and again.
2: I was just thinking while you're talking about it, sorry, I was going through the Bible, um, but I was thinking, how do you go through the Bible? (laughs) Uh, I was just thinking, you know, Jesus came from earth to clothe himself with the flesh or earthly body where he can, you know, lower himself. Yeah. And then, you know, be crucified, you know, they took off his garment and beat him and, or when he died, they took off his garment and split in four parts. And I'm trying to think of any kind of symbolism, as far as we were talking about how, um, every time Joseph is declothed and clothed again, there is a so elevation. Jesus was declothed from heaven's glory to earth, uh, Pit. I don't
1: know. Uh, I'll say this. I see a picture type <coughs> crossing over. Let's look at it right quick. I think it's in Philippians. <clears throat> Too many bookmarks in places around Philippians, <laughs> so you can't go to Philippians. What's on page
2: 1199? <laughs> uh, no, it's on page 981. Mm, my has more.
1: <laughs> Philippians 2, uh, starting at about 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. So I just, I crossed this over one day. I saw uh, he's being dressed like a man or taking the form of a man. And it's tied to the word servant. I tie that over to, uh, I think it's John 13, when he is, in the upper room?
0: hmm
1: Let's go her and look at it right quick. Because there is a, a real clothing issue going on here. Let's see. Wouldn't be better to say, well, here it is. John 13, sorting at about three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper This is where I start seeing the picture. He rose, he he got up from the seat in heaven and dressed himself like a man to come down as a servant. So back in John 13, uh, 13, 4, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, taken a towel, tied it around his waist, and then poured water into a basement, a basin, (laughs) and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Skip down, uh, let's see, past his conversation with Peter verse 12 when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place kind of where I see the the conclusion of the whole whole deal he gets up from the throne of heaven comes down here dresses like a man goes to being a servant to man and once all is said and done once he's finished serving he goes back (laughs) redresses and takes his place back again Hmm. And that that redress would be the glory of God, just like he prays in John 17. Yeah, right. Does he say, clothe me with the glory that I had? John 17? I think
2: so. Well, I passed it.
1: And uh, no, not not clothed. Verse uh, 17, verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Doesn't matter if it doesn't use the word clothes, it's the same as that concept. Yeah. But I just t- saw that one day in the, the upper room, the last supper. He gets up from his place, dresses like a servant, goes around and serves all, comes back, puts his clothes back on, and takes his place again. Just the way it's written there. Yeah. Is that something John thought of, or is it Holy Spirit inspired where he just didn't even recognize he wrote it? I don't know, it's probably like you and I have talked about when we're writing these notes and studying things. You type something out with your fingers and you're just like, oh, man, it comes out on your screen. You weren't intending it. You didn't <laughs> right. even know it. You didn't think it yourself.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm be <clears throat> getting ahead, but as we're talking about Jesus and Joseph, I think of, you know, he disguised himself, that his brothers would not know him um, until he finally revealed himself as yeah. the person that would save him. Jesus, same way, you know, you know, you did not recognize me, and here I am. You know, uh, you know the prophets would. You know, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. The prophets would have died to have seen this moment because they've testified about me, they've seen me, they've heard me. Um, they would have loved this moment, but here you are. So um, he yeah. disguised himself also in a certain way um, before revealing himself. Um, so,
1: man of God again, missing God, <laughs> right? <laughs> <clears throat> Well, what you got next?
2: Well, kind of <laughs> the the garment thing. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I just kind of put one thing that um, is an underlying theme uh, in Joseph's life is his brothers hated him though he did nothing wrong. Um, he's just, he's really innocent in the whole situation, which kind of sucks for him. Um, you know, we, you know <laughs> I, it's hard for me sometimes when I read stories like this because you've read you've read it so much, or you've heard it so much, you know you know what's going to happen. You know, the end, mm-hmm. but he, he didn't know the end. Yeah. And so I, I, it, it's hard for me to imagine what he really felt like being put, you know, your father loves you, but then your brothers hate you. Yeah. And, um, all the things he's going through and facing, and it's just a theme. Um, but he never loses his character or his righteousness or whatever you want to call it. Um, he, his relationship stays, um, Close with God, but
1: I think sometimes though when we do some study like this, and I stay in like a chapter like thirty-seven for a a week or two weeks, and don't go on to the end, you you keep banging over and over again the tragedy. You start getting a, a little bit of a taste of it. I mean, just just an idea for you, the listener, if you're if you like studying scripture, and you really want to get a taste of the same of one scripture, stay in the same scripture for endless days and you'll yeah. just see more and more and more.
2: You know, I was going to, I was going to ask you this at the end of our uh, podcast as like a bonus, um, because I've had people ask me
1: Mark's uh, bonus, my,
2: the bonus, you get a bonus, um, brought but, to you by <laughs> our sponsors. <laughs> what was our sponsors? Last uh, was
1: it chewing gum and steak or <laughs> something? Something like that.
2: Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> something. That was awesome. Um, but, um, you know, I'm sure I don't know if you've had people ask you, um, but um, people have asked me, you know, how what do you recommend? How do you recommend studying the Bible? Um, There's so many different ways. Open it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, gosh, your your answer was more simplified than mine. (laughs) I may have overwhelmed some people, um, but um, you know, like I sent you basically my outline of notes uh, last week, I believe, and David. You commented about you the way you do notes, the way you do things is differently. Yeah, and so the bonus was me asking and telling you know because me and David probably study a little bit differently. Uh, you know what? You, how do you study a passage or a chapter or verses or narrative or a you know a minor prophet book or whatever? Yeah, just for listeners who you know, don't necessarily go to seminary or never have really dug into the scriptures or don't even know where to start. Um, So I don't know Mm. if we wanted to really even – I just thought it would be kind of cool. For a moment.
1: Um, The word dig is is a real uh, key thing there. When I was very new Christian, I listened to a lot of pastors who were doing this, but I just kind of learned that it was possible to do such, to dig in the scripture. And there was times I would come across something as I was reading – and the Holy Spirit would say, why don't you wonder? And he was, you know, what I just read, uh, let's see, my Bible happens to be up. I'm still up, and I just now turned back to Genesis 37. So we'll just go back to 36. And I'm just going to read a, gra- a random place here in 36. <laughs> These are the children of Anna, Deshaun, Aholibah, the daughter of Anna. <laughs> These are the sons of deshan Himdan, Eshbon, Ithron, and Keran something that you, you just read through and you don't think about. And every once in a while the Holy Spirit would say, why don't you wonder? And he was talking about what I was reading at that moment. And that means dig here. And that's all I can say is I would just start following and saying, oh, what does this mean? <laughs> I remember one time he said, why don't you just wonder? And it was uh, well, it was in uh, Joshua. And it's like, how many times have you read the word Jordan in the Bible?
2: Yeah, tons, Endlessly.
1: Tons and many. he's like, you don't know what Jordan means yet. Why don't you wonder? So I go look up what Jordan means. And it opens up this massive story to that whole chapter for me and laid things out in perspective. I guess it's hard though, for me to tell you to do what, like I would do because like my dad, uh, they rotated his church and different people teach Sunday school class. Uh, so when dad's, Taking something apart and trying his best to study it out and figure out background stuff, uh we'll talk about it, and I'll say, "Yeah, and I see this and this and this, you know, so I never saw that because I'm more of a symbolic thinker, I look for picture types and that kind of stuff. I do that naturally because that's what I like right. so the person who doesn't normally <clears throat> you're a more realistic person, how do I say? I don't think I'm less realistic than Dad. I'm just using him as an example. But he's more of a concrete black and white words on the page guy. And yeah. if I'm going to show him or tell him some <coughs> interwoven, I will not call it hidden. It's not hidden from anybody. It's there to see. But if I'm going to show him an interwoven kind of picture type that's basically the gospel again <coughs> in symbols. Right that's when he'll say a lot of times i just i don't know how you say how you see that
2: so i can't tell you to do it
1: the same way i would do it but just uh, read it and when you look at words that you read all the time i guess that's that's a, one of the hardest things is to recognize what you're not recognizing
2: yeah that is difficult
1: <laughs> when uh you know when i work on somebody's internet at their house when we get it fixed and we get it done i'm telling them because i don't want them to, to look at something on their computer that's possibly memory I want you to look at something fresh to prove to yourself. The
2: connection works.
1: Your Yeah, your connection works, and you're doing a new search. So mm-hmm. I'll say to the person, because I like it, it's, think of something you never thought of before. Look up that. <laughs> and the guy today, I said that to him, he's like, wait a minute. How do I think of something I never thought of before?
2: <laughs> Have you ever Googled Donald Trump? <laughs>
1: somebody told me uh i was on the phone with one time he was a it guy for some company i had done an install for them and i was supposed to call at the end of the install he says okay get on the get on the uh the wi-fi of that circuit okay i'm on it he says now type in your your browser water okay (laughs) and he says I, I type it in. He says, is it a blue page, blah, 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 and he describes it, and I said, yeah. He said, okay, now back out of that. And I said, all right. He said, now type in cheese. <laughs> okay, and I described the page I'm seeing. He says, I do that because most people have never looked up cheese and water. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, never well,
1: looked, I never have forgot that, cheese and, and water. I, that's, so that's good. I, I use different either. things, but it's kind of like, how do you think of something you haven't thought of? And when it comes to studying the Bible, you let the Holy Spirit lead you, and that's yeah. – like i'm just now done right here a second ago what i do i follow the word ketunit, beged simla shesh and bore but i don't spend every day every time i open the bible chasing words sometimes like you named this narrative and you want to see it you have to recognize when you've been spending too much time in the trees (laughs) and get back in your helicopter and go back up and look at the forest that's, I think that's one of the hardest things that took me years to see is I studied trees constantly and acorns and leaves. <laughs> but oh, yeah. I forgot to go back up on top of the mountain and look down over the hole and say, oh, here's a big progression. Mm-hmm. So altogether you need a strong Concordance or a computer that has a search engine. Yeah. You need to follow words. You need to look them up and see what they are and see how they're related. And you need to... uh Consider commentaries, and yeah, I I I would say caution yourself against going with denominational commentaries.
2: Yeah, it's it's difficult. I mean, because everyone has a denominational background, and yeah, you know, if you're a Calvinist, you go MacArthur you know, whomever uh, commentary. And if you're Pentecostal, you go to whomever, if you're Baptist or, you know, you go to Dallas Theological Seminary type commentaries. And, yeah. And, Cause you
1: want to undergird what you already think.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cause I remember, te- I remember telling someone, uh, last year, uh, a person asked me, you know, I'm just curious, how do you say the Bible? And I told him and he kind of felt overwhelmed and I really didn't mean to, you know, overwhelm him cause I want to, you know, I want to encourage him to study cause he wanted to. Um, but the way I presented my, uh, thought process, and the way I do things, um, it's challenged me to kind of change, figure out, you know, is there, is there a simpler process? Is there an easier way for me to study? Cause I'm trying to figure out what's easier. Um, like for me, um, <laughs> David might disagree but it's cool. Mm-hmm. Um so It'll what be I, the first time, let's hear it. Yeah. So <laughs> what I what I usually do is is I'll take three translations three or four translations and um like for Genesis, okay. I think you should have seven seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me some more and I will do them. Um so all I do is is like I'll take a paraphrase Depending on what it you know, it just varies. A paraphrase or a couple of paraphrases, a couple of uh, um, not paraphrases, but um, next line down or next line up, because there's like a trans. There's like word for word translations, which are like the King James. Um, they kind of look at word for word and try to figure out the best sentence yeah. structure. Then there's um paraphrase to where. Um, They look at the sentence context and try to figure out, okay, I need to change this word because in this sentence or in this paragraph, it means something different. And then there's like, um, I don't know what it's called, like the message uh, where there's no really verse structure. It's just, here's what I think the thought is. It's like a little commentary. Here's, you know, Eugene Peterson wrote the message. So he read the Bible and then he writes down, well, this is what I think it says in my language. Um, so yeah. what I what I usually do is I'll listen to three or four of those in audio, and then and then I'll write down what I hear. I won't even read it. I'll just write down what I hear, and then I'll go back and read the ESV, um, and try to not you know try to write down fresh ideas of what I read, and just jot down quick notes. This verse says this. If I have a question, um, I'll write you know look this up later or what does this mean. Um. Just not even thinking about it, and then I'll take a I'll take a day or two off, and then go back to it. And then I'll try to study um, as much as I can, um, whether it's um, the verse structure, more recently grammar structure, because I'm trying to learn uh, Hebrew and Greek, the grammar structure, um, and try to write out how I think. Is tra- if it's right or wrong, how I think the verse should yeah. be translated, tra- trying to help myself out. And if it's close, then I feel I'm confident, okay, I'm on the right track.
1: Um, there's times where I do that, I look at the actual <clears throat> original and retranslate it myself, yeah, and then start trying to because sometimes you have to spend a lot of time reorganizing reordering the, or the words, right, to make it make sense in English at all,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: But you'll end up saying, huh. This is a pretty good translation that we have. Oh, or this verse, how in the world did they ever come up with that? Because I don't see it in any way that way.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, after that, then I go to commentaries. I'll pick ones that I disagree with and just kind of see what their thoughts are. And I'll say, well, I don't agree with this thought or, hmm, this is kind of interesting, you know. so It's, it's
1: interesting. You should make track of or take track of all the or take note of all the ones that you disagree with, too. Yeah. But I guess in a sense, I'll go through, because this is what I had told Mark earlier when he asked me in the week, uh, or when I made a comment about his notes, it's that you're able to go over a large section and make quick notes of main points and then go back and fill them in. Right. You may do like 10 <laughs> chapters that way, and I find myself bogged down in 10 <laughs> verses, and I cannot move on. Like when you put down, uh, study this later. No, I'm studying it today.
2: Oh, yeah. See, yeah.
1: I cannot could because I'll have thoughts that I need to put down right now or they're gone.
2: Ah, yeah. That's a, well, that's a good point. Maybe when there you get s- older,
1: you'll feel the same.
2: Well, there are some... T- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, there are some times that I'm like, I had a really good thought or a really good question. I should have looked at it then. Um, So there are some negatives to the way... It, and obviously, you can't do that way with every thing in the bible like for joseph i didn't go back and look at the word for word translations and yeah um i didn't really do in depth i looked at the narrative the story the 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 overall idea and i looked at the locations like Dothan, which whether we talk Shechem, which we've talked about already um you know like you talked about the well, garments. i haven't
1: even touched on them yet for this yeah. joseph well, study
2: the, i know <laughs> um but you get the idea there's there's you know you're not looking at verse by verse by verse like we did with creation. So you know yeah. the first few chapters in Genesis, and then you look at the prophets. You don't necessarily have to take a verse by verse, but you look at the context of who he's prophesying to. Yeah, and Revelation is just a whole other story. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so you can't really take a one. This is the best way to study the Bible because there's different genres and different ways. So we
1: are back to open it. Yeah. In best. a nutshell,
2: just open it, read it, and ask God <laughs> to, to reveal you. I mean, it's 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 amazing to me. You know, some people ignored that concept. The simplest. How about you pray that God will open your eyes and speak to you through what you're reading. You don't necessarily. You don't necessarily. Commentaries are great. Notes are great. All these things are great. But God can speak to you without those things.
1: God's preferred method is to speak to you. But sometimes Straight we depend out of his own book.
2: so much on the other crap, not crap. We, yeah. we depend so much on man's written, written Compared word. Compared
1: to God's written word, that yeah. is crap. Yeah. Just like so, Paul said, <laughs> I compare everything that I ever did to knowing Christ. It's all dumb. It's all <laughs> crap. <laughs> That's true. And knowing everything that man thinks about the Bible but never reading the Bible is a crap way to study the Bible. Yeah. Well, I noticed, I
2: think you, we don't, neither one of us really get on Facebook anymore and i noticed you did re, do a repost um yeah about, today i thought that was kind of i was like oh that's kind of a neat well, you know i was in the bathroom saying. at work
1: and i thought what do i want to do i could open up facebook for a minute <laughs> <laughs> and then there was, was something i had written two years ago and i thought i still i still agree with that so i'll just repost it i liked it
2: i got on there today because i was just outside in tennessee and i was like man I haven't been on Facebook in few, several days or weeks, and so yeah. I opened it and first thing I thought was that I'm like, oh, like so,
1: anyway. on this this. I guess when we do these podcasts, though, I literally do first open it. I mean, every morning when I get up, take my first shower, Hayson makes me something for breakfast. We sit down at the table. Her breakfast is just coffee,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we sit there on both sides of the kitchen table and we read the Bible for. An hour or whatever she's reading and flipping around the different things uh she has the devotional she uses and uh different things she might come up with sometimes she'll make comment to me what she is seeing, or she'll tell me about something on the way to work when we when she's taking me to work but uh that's when I'm doing my Bible studies when I'm eating food in the morning, and once that's that's done, and we just keep on reading. but I'll end up writing devotionals and writing notes for this right here. <laughs> That's my morning devotional is writing devotionals <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: because I'm still studying it for myself to even be able to write it down. But like I said, first thing, I open it, I read it, I start doing my own <laughs> older, I guess. One thing I, I realized a while back I needed to do on my iPad when I'm studying and making notes and stuff is type it out by hand myself. So I'm looking back and forth to my own Bible in paper oh. and typing it over there. Uh, when a king took the throne in Israel, originally he was supposed to write the whole law himself by his own hand and keep that copy with him on the throne to rule the nation. I haven't had the time to write down the whole book of or the whole Bible in my own hand, <laughs> yeah. but I really do think that would be a goal I would love to do one day for you know some point of my Christian walk is do nothing else but simply write down this. Don't study anymore. Don't don't use a dictionary, et cetera. Just right. write it down. But I start that way as I open it. I read it. I start doing my own study. And I, I go back, depending on what we're doing, like this right here, more than a devotional, I, I spend more time in it. I go get a stack of Bibles I keep, which are many translations with many different study notes from different periods. And uh, it's, you know, a stack of Bibles two foot high beside me on the <laughs> kitchen table. I'm in Genesis 37, looking at verse. 10, then I open every single one of those Bibles and look at whatever commentator might have said something about verse 10 at all, and that includes uh, your regular study Bibles you get nowadays, right. and I've got an older one or two that are really awesome and having a different perspective. Some things I think it's kind of a waste of, like following the, the Yahwistic Mm-hmm. Influence what's the other one the elo the eloistic influence, and taking every other verse and saying who ritual I think that's kind of a waste really, but there's still something to consider. I go through a a copy of the Dead Sea Scrolls, I look through the table of contents and say, "I'm studying Joseph. is there anything that the the Qumran cave guys wrote about Joseph? I'll go there and read it hmm. <clears throat> and that's cool. Then go to uh, my Jewish study Bible and look at the notes that are all around it because they're all Talmudic, Mishnah, Ru- Rabbinic type notes. Right. So there's a hundred ways, but you just got to open it to start with.
2: It's not bad. Yeah. You just <laughs> open it and read it for yourself. Yep. A lot of people depend on their preacher to read it for you when he's preaching.
1: <laughs> Some preachers depend on <laughs> other preachers to read it for them.
2: Well, that's true. Let's go copy this sermon, or (laughs) let's see what this commentary says, so I don't have to work so hard at at thinking for myself. What does this guy think?
1: That may be why too. I have heard so many preachers preach the same concepts (laughs) about because when I was first, you know, first Christian, I'm working and listening to a radio station which has umpteen preachers that cycle throughout the day. Yeah, same ones every day at the same time, and you'd hear something like this story on joseph and they all have the almost the exact same comments at the exact same points in the story and there'll be nothing really fresh it does help to imprint it so you can you can rattle it off by memory soon but it doesn't really help i I mean maybe maybe it helps somebody who's never heard it once but if you've heard the same or if you've heard 15 or 20 preachers preach the same message (laughs) Over and over and over again, you should go read this book for yourself and ask the Lord to show you, if he shows you the exact same thing, that's great. Yeah. He he might show you something new and and fresh that you've never heard.
2: Well, the the guy that I talked to, I I get my example was Obadiah. And ever since when I took Old Testament survey, you know— Short there's not a lot of stuff written about I mean, you can't make a whole commentary single book on Obadiah. I mean, it's so short.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And and I was like, Man, I'm I was so some for some weird reason I was intrigued. Like there's gotta be something here. And um even Old Testament theology we had to do a huge paper on an old testament book. And I told my teacher, Mr. McKinney, I was like, you know, we had to go pick a, a book and obviously he recommended one of the shorter ones, like Minor Prophets. <laughs> um, and I was like, I want to do mine on Obadiah. He's like, I don't think you can get that much information on a whole paper on Obadiah. I was like, oh. Would it so, have to be
1: twelve fifteen 15 pages?
2: Huh, yeah. So I so, I, so, I went, so I went a different route. But um, but I was, for some reason I was obsessed, and, and I just kind of let it fall by the wayside until a few years ago. I started looking at Obadiah and... And and so I went to um, SermonCentral.com, you know, a bunch of sermon people post sermons or whatever. And every sermon on Obadiah is from the same few verses about pride. And I think it's like verses 12, 13, and 14 or somewhere around there. And I was like...
1: Nothing else to say, huh?
2: And I, I was thinking that, so I did my own digging. And this is what I tell the person, you know, I just say, God, you know... I'm not seeing whatever I think you're wanting me to see. And so... You had that I, unsatisfied feeling. Yeah, I dug yeah. and dug. And I found Jesus in Obadiah. How is that possible? Um, so, you know, I, I got something <laughs> that was... And so, you know, I taught, you know, I preached, taught, whatever, um, on a Wednesday night at church from Obadiah, and I share what I what I saw. And and there were people... There's a guy who uh, has a PhD came up to me and said, never... He said, "I've studied the Bible for years. Never gave a second thought to Obadiah." He said, "Now you're now even treating me to look." Um, you so, call yourself
1: a PhD? Yeah, <laughs> for real. Goodness,
2: you studied the Bible? Please. You call yourself a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> but so what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, God can reveal things to you that commentaries can't. So don't you don't yeah. just have to stick to their idea, their thinking. I mean, yeah, God can. God speaks through dreams, obviously. Now and Obviously, we'll look at Joseph. Um, God speaks um, through various ways. So open it up.
0: Thanks for listening to the Two Spies podcast. If you would like to join in on the conversation, go to NUMA.life and leave a comment. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Music, or whatever app you're listening on. For additional articles on faith and life, visit NUMA.life.